Well, good morning. My name is Alan Fadling, and I'm looking forward to sharing a few reflections with you on this morning's gospel reading, the story of the healing of Bartimaeus. And I've been living with this story for a couple of months now. It's been going with me uh, wherever I go. In fact, I find myself in the midst of about a 70-day window where I'm out of town or out of country, about 50 of them. And I've needed this passage, and I've needed what Jesus and Bartimaeus talk about in this passage for myself. So it's nice to find myself home on a Sunday morning in this window. As for the story, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the last of the healing miracles. And it's the story just before Jesus will make his way to Jerusalem for what we call his triumphal entry to the shouts of a crowd of Hosanna. The setting is Jericho. We don't know a lot about what brought Jesus to Jericho, but we know that the story happens as he's leaving. And there's a crowd that joins him, and the disciples are following on the way. So in this story, there are sort of four main characters. There's Jesus, of course. There's his disciples with him. There's this large crowd that's along for the journey. And then there's this man called a blind beggar on the side of the road at the exit of Jericho. And his name is Bartimaeus. And as I've lived with this gospel narrative for the last couple of months, the line in the story that feels like its center is the simple question Jesus asks Bartimaeus. And the question is this. What do you want me to do for you? Now, at one level, it's an awfully simple question. The man is a beggar. The man is blind. I think we have a couple of ideas about what he might want Jesus to do for him. But Jesus asks the question, nonetheless, of Bartimaeus. And I think he will often ask that question of us. Jesus never does ministry impersonally. Jesus never does ministry generically. Jesus always treats us personally. He knows us. He knows what's on our hearts. He knows what we're concerned about and what we hope for. And admittedly, sometimes what we're about isn't the most noble thing in the world. Things that are on our hearts, things that we want him to do for us, maybe they're not even good for us. And yet he cares enough to look us in the eye and say, what would you like me to do for you? Now, the story sits between two others. Just before this story, it's the one where we have two disciples, James and John, who give a rather different answer to the exact same question. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Their answer goes like this. Well, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. One of those many disciple moments where they're not necessarily at their very best. It's sort of a my kingdom come, my will be done prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm sorry to say I've occasionally prayed prayers that sounded a little more like that than like the prayer the Lord gave us to pray. Jesus' answer to their reply is, you don't know what you're asking. What do you want me to do for you? 
Jesus seems to say, you know, you think this is what you want me to do for you, but you don't actually know what you're asking for. And the story, that story just before our gospel story today, says that the other 10 disciples became indignant. I think partly they were a little irritated with themselves that they didn't think of a great question like that. Well, we want that place too. We want that left and right place. That sounds good. What do you want me to do for you? So that's the story before our Bartimaeus story. The one after, of course, is the one where Jesus enters Jerusalem to cries of Hosanna. Now, we don't see Jesus asking the cheering crowd, what do, we, what do you want me to do for you? But we've got a pretty good idea what they'd like him to do for them, don't we? This Hosanna cry, they want a deliverer. They've got some pretty clear ideas about what they would love somebody maybe Jesus, to do about Rome, to do about the oppression they've experienced for so long. Now, how they want him to do it, maybe it's a little misguided. But Jesus cares even about what it is they want from him. And so it helps me to remember that Jesus cares about what, it, what is on my heart. He will ask me at times, what would you like me to do for you? And he's good enough to know better than to always answer in the affirmative what I ask. Sometimes what I want is misguided. Sometimes what I want has a deeper shade to it that Jesus knows and I don't. And he cares about that. My desires often need to be redeemed and renewed into a more kingdom likeness. So those are the stories before and after. So let's come into the story that we have and these characters in the story. There is first the crowd. Listen to how the crowd speaks to Bartimaeus, this blind beggar on the side of the road, crying out to Jesus, the son of David, for mercy. The first time he cries out, they react to his cry and they basically rebuke him and tell him to be quiet. Jesus is going somewhere. They don't know where, but I'm sure it's somewhere important. And Bartimaeus, you could only be getting in the way of what Jesus wants to do. Bartimaeus cries out exactly the same way again, which provokes Jesus' response. Call him. Bring him here. Well, then the crowd just turns on a dime. Now it's, cheer up, Bartimaeus. On your feet, he's calling you. They can't make up their minds. The crowd the crowd is always fickle. They don't even know what they want. Maybe they want to be entertained. Maybe they want to be wowed. Maybe they want to see a miracle. Probably they do. And at first it looks like Bartimaeus is nothing but a barrier to that. But then Jesus calls him and now they're thinking, maybe we're going to witness something. The crowd is not a good measure of focused desire. Their initial assessment that Bartimaeus is a useless beggar, now maybe he's a potential candidate for a miracle. The crowd is a fickle bunch. They are always fickle. They don't know what they want. If you ask the crowd, what do you want me to do for you, they will give you 100 answers. The crowd is that nameless they 
with passionate opinions that contradict themselves. And so Jesus doesn't ask them what they want him to do for them. The crowd is unable to see Bartimaeus as anything other than a blind beggar on the side of the road that's getting in the way. They can only see his condition. But Jesus, Jesus sees a person. And in this story from the Gospel of Mark, this is the only miracle where a personal name is mentioned. Bartimaeus, not just the blind beggar on the side of the road who got healed, Bartimaeus. The crowd doesn't know him by name, but Jesus, and then Mark, who records the story later, wants to capture that name. This is personal. The ministry of Jesus is always personal. Jesus treats people as persons and not as cases or situations or as problems or as needs. That's what love does. And I believe that when we become aware of our real needs or when we notice the real needs of others, this is when we hear the heart of Jesus open up and ask, what do you want me to do for you? That's the crowd. Then there's Bartimaeus. He's the center of the story. His occupation apparently for an, an awfully long time has been a beggar. And his main business is alms, getting enough to make it through another day. That's sort of the extent of his hopes on the exit road from Jericho. He doesn't have big plans for the future. He sits in this spot, probably it's his spot and has been for weeks, months, years, who knows. But as he sits there, somehow, he hears that Jesus is the one walking by. And he's apparently heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. And so he cries out, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I love that when the crowd rebukes him and tells him to be quiet, he shouts louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's louder than the crowd. And he catches Jesus' heart. And Jesus, though he is most certainly making his way to Jerusalem, Mark is clear about this in the way he tells the story. Jesus stops in answer to a cry for mercy. This is something that will catch Jesus' attention. It strikes me that when a genuine human need encounters the loving and healing presence of Jesus, that soul finds courage to cry out for help with passion and persistence. The crowd's fickle opinions never find such a center. They are the voice of discouragement. They're the voice of resistance at one moment. And then at another moment, they're the voice of apparent encouragement. But somehow Bartimaeus knows that this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, this is one to whom I can cry. This is one from whom I can ask for mercy. Jesus seems especially impressed by Bartimaeus's passionate faith and desire for mercy. Jesus seems to love his wholehearted cry. 
I mean, the text actually says that, he, that Bartimaeus jumps to his feet. That's not easy for a blind beggar to do. But he wants to respond to this invitation of Jesus to come. And in the end, what does Bartimaeus do with this question Jesus asks him? He says, Rabbi, I want to see. That's a big ask. Think about who he has been. That was not on his five-year plan. Stop being blind. And yet he'd heard stories about Jesus. Who knows if he'd ever crossed paths with Jesus, but now he is. And the presence of Jesus elicits from within him a cry for mercy and a request for sight. And how does Jesus respond? Go, your faith has healed you. Bartimaeus is now no longer the blind beggar on the side of the road. He is now free to leave the little circle in which he's been confined. And the text closes by simply saying, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Is that an absolutely beautiful image? This limited place that Bartimaeus had sort of unfortunately called home day after day after day. He leaves it behind and begins to follow Jesus. Now we don't know if this following is disciple-like following, but we know it's following. We know that somehow he's going to be with Jesus. He's going to witness more of who Jesus is. Who knows if he's in Jerusalem for that week of events. But again, remember, this is the only story of healing in which the one who is healed is given a personal name. I actually went through the Gospel of Mark and counted about a dozen different healings. You know, Jesus frees an unknown man from an impure spirit. He heals a leper. He heals a paralyzed man. He heals a man with a withered hand. But it's always a man, a man, a man, a man. Someone, a person who, but not a name. There was the woman who, Mark says, had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. All of them unnamed. I mean, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. We got close to a name. Or Jairus' daughter is raised. But Bartimaeus is the only one whose name we know. And some have thought that perhaps this is because later in church history, maybe Bartimaeus was known to have become not only a disciple, but perhaps even a leader in that young church. He had been blessed by Jesus, and perhaps he had come to be a blessing to more and more people around him. I think that's what happens when we cry out for mercy in all the ways we need it. You know, as a brand new Christian, which happened 40 years and two days ago for me, I was a high school senior. I was at a concert. It was a church sort of loosely connected to the Calvary chapels. And somebody gave what would have been called an altar call. And I went forward and prayed a prayer. And I started a new journey. Part of me thought that was the big moment of mercy for me. Boy, boy, did I need mercy then. What a mess I'd made at 17. 
Except in 40 years, I've realized, oh, the opportunity to cry out for mercy never comes to a close. I'm always in need of the grace and the generous mercy of Jesus. And the more I welcome the mercy of Jesus to touch me in all the ways I need it, maybe in the spirit of Abraham's calling in those early chapters of Genesis, maybe I get blessed in a way that I can then be a blessing. Maybe that's what happens to Bartimaeus. But I know that I'm at my best serving others when I know myself to be a recipient of mercy. When I have real mercy to offer to another and not theoretical mercy. Real grace to offer to another. Grace I myself have needed to offer to another. That's one of the things as I've reflected on this story that's helped me. Now, I want to just look briefly at the story through the eyes of Jesus. They're leaving Jericho. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Soon he will hear, Jesus will hear these shouts of Hosanna. They have, they're on a purposeful journey. Can you imagine the momentum of this large crowd moving with him? And then somewhere out on the edge of the crowd, there's some voice. Son of David. Have mercy on me. I mean, I'm just imagining the crowd noise in this little voice. And then they, Jesus hears the hubbub over on that edge of the crowd. And then a louder voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. I need to see that. I'm an agenda person. I'm heading places. To me, they're very important places. But sometimes someone like a Bartimaeus feels to me like an interruption where to Jesus it appears that he sees Bartimaeus as a divine father-given opportunity. I need to learn from Jesus to watch for what I'm tempted to call interruption, which is actually opportunity. The thing, the person that was not on my calendar that could be the most God-given opportunity of my day, my week, my month. The best the crowd could have hoped for Bartimaeus is dropping a few coins in his cup. And Jesus has a much bigger vision for what is possible for Bartimaeus. When we see ministry through the eyes of Jesus, we see much more in terms of kingdom possibility than when we just look through our own eyes at managing the needs around us. Jesus has an expansive vision of how the kingdom could break in here or here or here. And so again, the ministry of Jesus is always personal. It is not generic. He is a good shepherd who calls sheep by name. He speaks to the depths of our hearts. He asks us what we hope for from him. He interacts with us personally. And so as we hear that question, if we could imagine sitting somehow across from Jesus and he were to look us in the eye and say, what would you like me to do for you? What are some of the answers that might bubble up from within you? 
And which of those answers might be the ones that most truly reflect your deepest heart? That which you most truly, deeply want in a God-given sort of way. I'd like to take a moment to be quiet and invite you to reflect on that question before we take a moment then and pray our prayer for ordinary time. Let's be quiet for just a moment. And perhaps let our hearts hear Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you?